This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Good evening. Amazing at a Yankee game and a giant. Okay, the girls, I understand. But the guys, wow, that you came out tonight. Everyone said to me, well, see, you have so much competition. The Giants and the Yankees. And either, I, w- I, I want to say that you're all Yankee fans. Somebody said the Bukharians are soccer fans, so they don't really care. I don't believe that for a minute. I think you're all Yankee fans, and you're all uh, Giant fans, and you came to learn Torah because you realize that after the Giant game and the Yankee game, it's over. But after learning Torah, you have it for the rest of your life. So this is much more important. Okay, so Chazak is amazing. I, I don't know, you, we don't, we, you don't react. He says the same things every time I'm here. And, and, and if he has to keep saying it every single time, it means that the people are not reacting. They have, they have unbelievable a magazine monthly, which we get in Ornava, a Chabrusa program, they have a children division, and they have CD distributions, and I spoke a while back for the high school boys, that was a big party that I remember that. What are you guys doing about the Halloween Mishigas this year, next week? Yeah, it worked out. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. A bunch of Jews getting dressed up, I don't understand. <laughs> What do we have to do with pumpkins? There's nothing. Did you ever eat a pumpkin? Did you have a pumpkin pie? It's disgusting. We have kugel, chillin, kishka, what? I don't know. Okay, anyway. So, you got to help this organization, Chazak. And of course, Shalom Aleichem, always looking at me no matter where I go. There's Torah anytime. Anyway, um, and you got to help out Torah anytime. It's really something that, you know, the Queen's people, this is, this is your project. And um, the Brooklyn people, you know, we can ask them to help Chazak and Torah anytime, but they say, you know, Queens people help Queens people. So um, you got to help them out. They need help. And and anyone in here that can help, you have a, you have for the high school girls also or just high school boys? High school girls. So there's a lot of girls in here that can help high school girls and a lot of men here that can help high school boys. We're going to see tonight. They said they want me to talk about Mashiach, about, about Mashiach. That was my, supposed to be the subject matter tonight. And the way to bring Mashiach is to bring uh, more Jews closer to our Kodesh Baruch Hu. That's how everyone in this room has that Kayach. So um, you got to give from yourself. you got to give from yourself. Because that's what life's all about. Life's about giving, not taking. We're about giving. We are created with Tzalem Elohim. And the Tzalem Elohim, the image of Hashem that we're created, is that God is a giver. Now that we're talking about God, I want to read you something very interesting. We're always talking about God anyway. Very scary regarding Mashiach. So, there's a famous, we know Rav Nachman, I'm sure you've all heard Rav Nachman, we breast love. And I don't talk that much about Rav Nachman. I'm not a breast love of Chassid. But his stories are amazing, his Mashalim are amazing. And something just interesting when I was preparing this year. So, let's talk about. Um, What's going on in the world right now? So if we look in Pashas Barashas, the end of Pashas Barashas, all those who came, what's the Shabbat, who came to my share, so they know what I'm about to say. At the end of Pashas Barashas, it says the following. Hashem wanted to destroy the world. Why did Hashem want to destroy the world? So it wasn't simply because we were doing Averot. It's not our fault we do Averot. Everyone does sins. Everybody sins. Right? You have Yetzahara. Yetzahara comes, he tells you, Let's go to the party. Let's go to the club. I'm not going to talk about Facebook. Let's uh, let's go onto the computer. Yimachshimam. Let's uh, go to Facebook. Yimachshimam. Right. Let's go all these places. 
And many of us fall. Ah, come on, nothing's going to happen. So, this happens all the time. Anyone who comes to you and says, I have never sinned, you're a liar. It's not telling the truth. All those who have never sinned, raise your hand. Aha, see, there's no liars in the crowd. Everybody has sinned. Okay, now, that's what it says. It says, Ain't Tzadik Baruch There's no Tzadik in the world that never sinned, even though the Gemara brings down that there were a few, Yishai, I think three or five, Tzadikim that would have never died if there was no eating from the Eitz Adas. So tonight, instead of me giving a speech, we're going to go through the crowd, everyone's going to stand up and tell everyone what they did, all the sins that they did. Okay, no, Chatz we're not going to do that. So some people here getting a little bit nervous. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to tell you all the sins that I did, okay? That you, you agreed to listen to? All right. Anyway, there is no tzaddik that didn't sin. So Hashem has, has mercy on all of us. He knows that He created the Yetzirah, and we can't beat the Yetzirah all the time. So that's not what He got angry about. But if you look in the Pasuk, it says the following. I don't like this mic. Do you hear me in the back if I don't use the mic? Can you hear me in the back? All right, I'll use the mic. I don't like the mic. Okay. So, it says the following. And Hashem saw the wickedness of the man in the land. And this is the interesting part. And that every product of the thoughts of his heart, rock, rock, kol hayayim. Not that the Yetzirah comes to you and says to you, let's do this Avera. But Hashem saw that you went to the Yetzirah and said, how am I going to do this sin? Not that you were sitting around and the Yetzirah came to you and said, let's get up and go to a party. But you went to your computer screen and you logged on, and you went to Facebook, and you went to look to see tonight where's the party. That Hashem didn't send you. That's not Hashem's test. He didn't send that to you. You went looking for it. Boys, how many times do we go looking for the Aveira Instead of the Aveira looking for us. How many times do we go places to see things that we're not supposed to see? Not that you happened to be in Manhattan and a girl crossed 7th Avenue and you happen to have seen someone that's not sneers. Okay, so you're in Manhattan, you're crossing the street, a girl walks by in a miniskirt. So your test, what's your test? Your test is the second look. First look wasn't your fault. You're crossing the street to get the bus. But the second look. is plural. The twisting of the head and watching the person cross the street. That Hashem didn't send you. That's of your own doing. So the test is not to look again. And the more you look, the more you're going to make it right. Boy said to me, I gave this speech, a guy walked up to me, and he said, what's wrong with looking? 
I said, what's wrong with looking? He says, Rabbi, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. I said, excuse me. He said, I didn't do nothing. You know, I just looked. The answer is that a person looks in order to stoke his Yetzirah. So it's not a Yetzirah that Hashem sent you. It's you looking for a Yetzirah. So searching, or they, they don't call it searching, I'm sorry. I got more uh, computer literate. Surfing the internet, girls and boys, looking for bad places. And figuring out, thinking all day, how am I going to do this Avera? How is nobody going to catch me? How am I going to find this? That a Baruch Hu doesn't forgive a person for. Because if your whole day and your whole machshav and your whole thought is on how to do an Avera, that's not a test. That's not a test. That's something you created. So at the end of Pashat Bereshis, it says, Vayar Hashem, ki rabba ro'as ha'odam he saw there was a lot of bad. But where's the bad coming from? Hashem said, is it coming from me? Am I the one who's creating the eight Sahara, said Hashem? And he looked at the human being and he said, no, I am not creating. The human being is trying to figure out how to do more bad and more bad and more bad. And we happen to be living in that time where when I was growing up, Television was 11 channels. Abbott and Costello, Superman, the little rascals, the little rascals, the little rascals. My Rebbe said, if I catch anyone watching the little rascals, I'm going to throw them out of yeshiva. Because the little rascals were a little rebellious. You hear? That was, that was the Eight Sahara. 12 channels in black and white. Today, Today, I tell all the rabbis, you know, they're very anti-televisions. You can't come to my yeshiva if you have a television. I'm like, rabbi, you're making a big mistake. I think we should make a rule in every Jewish house that you have to have a television. And the television has to be black and white, like when I grew up. And it can't have a remote control, like when I grew up. You have to get out of your chair. Can you believe this? You guys can't believe this. You're from a different generation. If you wanted to to change the channel... From channel 2 to channel 4, you have to get up out of your chair, turn that big brown handle to channel 4. And then by the time you were sitting down, your sister said, no, I don't like that. And you have to get back up and turn it to channel 5. And then when you got channel 5, your brother said, nah, that's stupid. And all day long, you're just getting up out of your chair, up out of your chair, up out of your chair. She finally said, I'm not watching television. I'm going to go out and play ball. I said, today, if we did this to kids and said, you have to have a television, black and white, without a remote, we'd have kids that would mamash be outside playing bull all day. Because I have to get up to change the channel? Crazy? Well, 195, what do you have? 585 channels? Thousand. Thousand. How do you know? <laughs> that was my test. Every show I go to speak, I say, I know how many. I say, oh, 100. And someone says, no, 1,000. I'm like, oh, we have to talk after the share. <laughs> well, Hashem, a few months ago, I was in a shul. I said, 100. Someone said, 100? That many? I'm like, I like the shul. Okay, anyway. I like you guys anyway. 1,000 channels. What does the Pusik say? That means that they had people in Hollywood 
trying to figure out, we have 20 channels of filth, we have 50 channels of filth, we need another 50 channels of filth. That's not filthy enough, we need another 100, another 100, another 100. So what are they doing in the entertainment field? This is, this is not something new. This is Pasha Gracious. What are they doing in the entertainment field? They're like, that's not dirty enough. How do we get little kids? Unbelievable. Shim Shim Pikas, who died 10 years ago. Oh, Rashad, Chusa Yagan Said this in a shir. Amazing when I heard this. He said, the terrible, disgusting immorality that's in this world. They said, how do we get it into a person's, to a, to a person who is morally, morally good, right? How do we get into a home? How do we get all this filth and this dirt into a home of people who are in Beit real? Morally nice people would never have cable, chas v'sholem in their house. Cable. Bringing filth and dirt into their own base hamigdash would never happen. Go out to dirty movie, chas v'sholem. DVDs in the house, chas v'sholem, a DVD in the house. Never. They burn it on Pesach with their chametz. Chas v'sholem, a DVD. Internet, where they could see all the disgusting things on the internet. Chas v'sholem, internet. Forget about Facebook. Any internet. Television? No way. This is basically real. This is good people. So they sat. And they had to figure out. How are they going to get filth? Kol hayom, says the Pasuk. Machshavah liboy rak rak kol hayom. A whole day. He sits and he tries to figure out. How am I going to do this, Avera? I'm screaming. Well, you got to make up mic or no mic. I don't know. <laughs> So they came up with something called Disney. <laughs> now you're all sitting here and saying, Rabbi Wallerstein, you are, you know, the Facebook stuff, we can deal with you. But now you're just totally out of hand. If you're going to get up and make up real and make a speech against Disney, you are out of your mind. How have I, my children, would only watch Disney? How have I, my husband, would come home and say... Put on a Disney movie. <laughs> right? How have I that I had a television with one channel called the Disney Channel? Listen carefully how smart they are in Hollywood. They went ahead and they did things with animals, female and male, that you would never, ever allow into your house if these pictures were human beings. But what you don't realize is to a little boy of four or five years old and a little girl of four, five, six, seven years old, when you have the Lion King and you have a female lion and you have a male lion and all that goes on is that these two young lions, Simba and Bimbo, whatever their names are, I don't know their names, right? They're kissing and rolling in the grass. So this child is very important. So what is this child watching? He's watching a girl and a guy, because to them it's, it's the him lion, the male lion, and the female lion, and he's watching a lot of interaction between the two of them, and he's watching him rolling in the grass. So for this little kid, it's a, it's a girl and a boy rolling in the grass. I, it happens to be a lion, that's why he let it into your house. So subliminal, if you watch all the Disney movies, you will see that in every single Disney movie, 
the Little Mermaid, every single one, there's an attractive female, animal, fish, whatever you want to call it, and an attractive male, Aladdin, all the different Disney movies, and there's always some kind of love and kissing and touching in every single one of their movies. Now, why do you have to put a girl and a boy in every Disney movie? And the answer is that this is immorality, but being shown through animals because the adults, we don't realize, oh, there's nothing wrong, she's watching a Disney movie. But as the kid grows up, they're thinking male, female. doesn't matter a lion or not a lion. So this is what destroyed the world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, there's bad in the world, but if you're, you're, you're busy with your life, thinking how to create bad means, I saw this in the Medrash this week, it means that the human being is now creating a Yetzirah. And a Yetzirah that's created, listen, listen for a second, a Yetzirah that's created by the human being is not an outside force. It's an inside force because we created it. The disease that the human being today does not have a cure for everybody, the worst disease on this world is cancer. And the reason that we can't cure cancer is because the cancer cell is created from that person. If you catch strep from another person, we can wipe that strep out because it is an enemy coming into your body and your body is built with white blood cells, I'm not giving a biology class, but it's built with white blood cells to destroy the cells from outside. So any cold bacteria that comes from the outside, our body has the power to destroy. But a cell that's created from our own body, we can't destroy. Therefore, chemotherapy, when it's used on a cancer patient, it doesn't only kill the cell, the cancer cell, but it kills many of the other cells because it can't differentiate always between all the cells because those cells belong to that body. It says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the eight Sahara that I created, the eight Sahara from outside, when Hashem is bringing you a eight Sahara and He's testing you, so that there's Torah, there's mitzvahs, there's antibodies. You can fight the Yetzirah from outside. Because that's a malach called the Satan. And Hashem gave us bara Yetzirah. Hashem said, I created a Yetzirah. Bara Torah Tavlin. I created a Torah that's a medicine. So Hashem said, I created a medicine to destroy the disease called the Yetzirah. But I did not create a medicine to destroy the Yetzirah, the Averas that you created. That's a cancer. That's a human cancer. Since you created it, I didn't create the tablet to destroy it. Therefore, the next passage says, Vayinachem Hashem, and Hashem... Reconsidered ki also as Adam ba'aretz that he made the human being by Yitzyatsev aliboy, and Hashem felt very sad when he saw that the human being was creating his own 
Yetzirah. Today, we live in a world where it's no longer God's Yetzirah. It's man-made. You go on the internet. It's man-made. You look for things that you're not supposed to see. It's man-made. Why do we have drugs today? When we didn't have drugs four or five hundred years ago, there was no such thing as cocaine and heroin and marijuana and Oxycontin and all these drugs and all these addictions. How come we didn't have them? The answer is that this is all man-made Yetzirahs. Man-made Yetzirahs, there's no tavlin. There's no, there's no medicine. And therefore, Kodesh Baruch Hu said, the next Pasuk, Man is creating evil inclination? I must destroy man. This past week's Pasha, Pasha's Noach, Hashem destroyed the world. So now, Pasha said to me, what do you want from me, Rabbi Wallstein? I didn't create the internet. Yes. But if you get a phone, you get a raspberry, blackberry, blueberry, whatever they call those things. You get one of those phones that's, that's internet, that has internet on it. And you sit there and you go on the internet in your bedroom, in the bathroom, in school, wherever it is. That's not a Yetzirah Hashem created. That's a Yetzirah you created. You need a telephone? I have a telephone. I have a cell phone. I'm a pretty busy guy. Walter's is a pretty busy guy. I don't have a Blackberry. I don't have a Blackberry. I don't want a Blackberry. I don't even have a computer. I don't even have the internet. Now you're thinking, how could you live without the internet? So I knew that if I'm going to have the internet, I'm going to make mistakes. I don't want to have a Yetzirah that I brought into my office. So it's ten years ago, seven years ago when I got the internet in my office. I'll never forget, I was very excited. Very excited. My office was now with the internet. And you know, you had those big fat screens in those days. You didn't have these thinny skins. And they brought it into my office with the brain. They call it the brain. But the brain with the hard, the hard drive, soft drive, floppy, flippy, whatever you call it. I had all kinds of floppies and hard drives. Metallomyces. I felt like I was, yes. You don't hear me, but the people in front, I'm blowing the ears out. What? I know, but what do you want me to do? I don't want to kill them. So, should have gotten a front seat? First come, first serve. What should I tell you? Anyway, so, so I sat there. I'll never forget it. In my office, it was 7.30 at night. Everybody was gone. And here I was, Rabbi Wallace, with my new internet. It was very exciting. I took that little mouse, right? I tried to move it around. I didn't understand why. I had to like go around my whole desk until I finally got it in the right spot. I put it on, and I had 12 emails. Imagine, the first time I put on my computer, 12 emails? I'm famous! 12 people caught me. I didn't even know that I had an email. And one of them said, urgent. Urgent, please open immediately. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how did my wife find out I got, I got email already, you know? It's like amazing. So, I went ahead, and I clicked it. In Yiddish, they call it Finsta of the Eugen. What showed up on that screen, you shouldn't know about. But I definitely didn't invite her into my office. I didn't know her. I don't know why she sent me an email. But it definitely wasn't a very sneeze-sticker picture. It was dancing. It was telling me to go and hit enter and hit this and hit that. And we're going to go into this 
who knows what zone they were going to take me to. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I unplugged my whole, my whole, I'll never forget, I unplugged everything. And I said, I put it on the couch outside my room. I said, I don't want this in my room anymore. What do you mean, Rob Watson? You can't control yourself. You're Michigan? No, you can't control. All these guys in here have computers. They're, they're better than me. All you girls. Rob Austin can't control on myself. And all of you are under total control. It's amazing. But I said to myself, they're sophisticated. They trapped me. I, I wouldn't have opened it up. I would have said pornography. I would have never hit that button. Maybe, you know, after looking at it 20 times, 30 times, I'd say, ah, it's probably not true. Let me see. You know? Yeah, okay. But I definitely wouldn't have hit that button. But they fooled me. So I said to myself, next time, they're going to have a different tagline to fool me. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I am not creating my own Yetzirah. And therefore, I don't have, you can't reach me. You can send them a Nava an email. Go stab you And she has to give it to me. So I don't own, I don't own a computer. I don't want to be busy all day trying to figure out how to do Averis through my computer. Because once you do that, Akash Baruch Hu, he doesn't need you here anymore. You're not going to do tshuva. If you're your own Yetzirah, you, cre- you created your own spiritual cancer. Because the cell that's destroying your neshama is you! You are destroying your own neshama! It's not some person outside, some Yetzirah outside. You are going home you're rushing to the computer. You're jumping on the internet. You're going to the site. You're going to talk to some guy in Arkansas, girls. It's not funny. I just had a whole story. Some woman, married woman. At night, she was talking to some guy in Arkansas. And they finally met in a motel. Yeah, it took two and a half years. And she was like, no way ever. Are you crazy? We're just talking in one of these chat rooms, whatever it was. It's sick. Who created that? You're going to call up to Hashem and say, Hashem, the guy in Arkansas... It's his fault. The bash. I'm going to say, who told you I go to chat rooms? You go to chat rooms means you're looking. Destruction. Because who said, I'm destroying the world. There were three Averis that destroyed the world. Actually, four. Shvichas Damim, murder. Gilead Rayas, adultery, immorality. And Avoid Zarah. Not believing in Hashem and serving idols. I want to read you something very scary. Okay. Shvichas Damim. We're in the we are in the generation of Shvichas Damim. You may not care, but every single day on the news, today, 156 people blown up in Iraq. Innocent human beings, children and women, what do they do? They were in the marketplace. Some Meshugana blew himself up at a truck. Killed 156 people today, and 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 maimed. Better probably, better probably to die, and maimed. Half the people lost their feet and their hands and their eyes. 375 human beings. This happens every single day. We don't care because what do we have to do with Iraq, right? But Lemaisa, Hashem does care. It's His creations. Every single day, people are getting bur- murdered and blown up for absolutely no reason. Shvichas damin. The world's full of shvichas damin. Now the, the Hebrew in, in Somalia decided they're going to kill their people. Some other islands killing their people. We got pirates. We got guys blowing up guys. We're in good shape. So Shvichas Damim is blood, killing, all over the place. Immorality? You want more immorality than we have today? There's a, uh, I don't have the medrash with me. 
The Medrash says very clearly, destruction of the world, was when the homosexuals, when the, when the judges voted, it's a Medrash, you know how long? 2,000 years ago. That when the judges in Noah's time voted that a man can give a marriage ksuva to another man, that's when Hashem said, it's over. You all know the voting, it's going to happen in New York State very soon, um, to vote that men can marry men. So we're there. So two out of the three, we're there. But Baruch Hashem, I'm not worried about the world being destroyed. You know why? Because we don't have a Vaidazara. We don't have a Vaidazara. Who's bowing down to idols? So, two out of three, but one, we're okay in New York. You ever see anyone bowing down in New York? Not really. So, everything was good. That's not a Vaidazara. Muslims are not a Vaidazara, by the way. Not considered a Vaidazara. Christianity is a machlaikis. Because Christianity has a figure. Muslims have no figure. They get on a carpet and they bend down. Sometimes the carpet flies, sometimes it doesn't, whatever. <laughs> but they don't have a Vaidazara because they don't bow down to an idol. Buddhism is, is a Vaidazara. But we don't see it. So I was like feeling really safe in New York. And then last week, somebody said to me, Wallstein, there's something about to happen in November in New York. You better get out of New York. I'm like, what? So they sent me an article. The article is in the New York Times, and it's going to start in November, and all of you are going to see this. Listen carefully. So there's a coalition of atheists. Atheists are people who don't believe that God exists. And they are launching an anti-God advertising campaign. Now listen to the chutzpah of this. Superimposed over the image of a deep blue sky, you're going to all see it, because they're doing it in November, they took, they took over all the subway, all the trains, so when the trains, when you go downstairs, they have advertising on the trains and advertising on the walls. This is what you're going to see for the month of November on all the walls. You're all going to see this. The atheists went ahead, a million, and raised money to put this advertisement in every subway in New York City that the New York City should know that there is no God in the world. What did they do? They took a picture of the blue sky with white clouds and they wrote on it. A million New Yorkers, they claim that there are a million atheists in New York. A million New Yorkers are good without God. Without God, are you? There's a million people who don't believe in God. You also don't believe in God. So for the next month of November, they're pushing, pushing, pushing that there is no Hashem in the world. Finally, the last straw. Shrikas Damin all over the place. Gilead Royals, immorality, on every Blackberry, in every Disney movie, in every DVD, in any movie that you go, you want to go see just a regular, silly movie. I mean, I'll just give you an example. So Rabbi Wallstein, when he was very young, was a very big reader, I'm a very big reader of science fiction. So I was very enamored with Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. So at 12 years old, I had already read the, I already had read the trilogy probably five to seven times. I showed off to my class that I could draw Middle Earth, Middle Earth by heart. I was into goblins and orcs and don't ask. I was always out of the box. So my dream was that they should come out with a movie, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. It's my dream. So they came out with the movie about seven years ago, six years ago. And I said, I must see the movie. 
I must see the movie. This I have to see if my imagination and these Mishugom's imagination is the same. And they, it, it's a fantastic trilogy. It's, it, it's amazing. Don't go watch it, but it's amazing. And they destroyed the whole thing. They destroyed Tolkien's book. Because what did they do? They took, I'm not going to get into whatever it is, but they took this woman who had mamish, nothing to do with the book. She was the queen of the elves, whatever, nothing. And they made the whole thing into a love, romantic, because, because Hollywood has to put female, male into everything that they do. So now we're at the final step. Now they're pushing atheism. But it's very dangerous, and I'll tell you why. He writes in the New York Times, the New York Times, you're not allowed, it's like, it's like reading the Nazi Gazette. You're not allowed to read the New York Times. They are so anti-Semitic. They are so anti-God. And they claim to be so, on such a level, on such a high level. Listen to this. I completely understand why some atheists are sick and tired of the simplistic references to God dripping from the lips of the religiously devout. And he says the following. The current atheist bus, subway, and billboard campaigns are intended as a corrective to religious fervor, which in English means that this campaign, we're getting too from. We're getting too religious. We're getting too much into God. So they got they to stop it. And they mamish rip up. They rip up Hashem. They mamish rip up Hashem. There are good reasons for atheists to be up in arms. Given the inexplicable violence that is perpetrated in the name of religion, which the Muslims are doing in the name of religion, given the fact that the existence of God cannot be scientifically proven, idiots, what can be scientifically proven? That the world was created from gases. Oh, and where did the gases come from? Uh, gases from? They don't have an answer for that. These great scientists who say that Hashem didn't create the world, that it just happened, are the same scientists that say that you cannot create matter from nothing. So where did the gases come from? They don't know. But one thing they know for sure, not from Hashem. So it is perfectly, now listen carefully, and this is very important to my share. It is perfectly understandable that rational and intelligent people come to the conclusion. Okay, now, what are the New York Times is telling you? That if you are rational, it means you're normal. And you are intelligent. And you're a person. It is very understandable that rational and intelligent people come to the conclusion that there is no God. So they're not coming here and saying that... You're a terrible, disgusting human being because you don't believe in God. They're telling you that if you don't believe in God, you're intelligent. You're cultured. You're a person. If you do believe in God, there's something wrong with you. Now, Rabbi Wallerstein has been dealing with this for a long time because there's something very wrong with me because I talk about Hashem and I talk about God. That means I'm not intelligent. I must be stupid if I believe in God. I must be not a human being if I believe in God. And if I ever get up and talk about homosexuality 
And then Hashem created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> if I ever say that, then I'm a right-wing crazy rabbi that doesn't understand people's needs. You have no mercy. They're suffering in the closet for so long. So, yes, the good guys have finally become the bad guys. The man who gets up and says homosexuality is wrong, it's destruction of the whole world. God says it's a te'evas Hashem. It's not what I created. And if it's a struggle that you have, then it's a struggle you need to deal with. The person who gets up and says that is the bad one. The person that says God created the most beautiful world is the stupid one. It has become right. It has become a thing that the world has been working on. I'd like to read to you something that shook me to the roots. Talking about Mashiach. Rav Nachman Mibreslov, I think he lived 200 years ago? 200 years ago. Listen to what he writes. He says, God wins battles merely because of the simple folk who say to Hillen, not the big tzaddikim, but the people who go home, the ladies who go home, and open up the Tehillim every morning, and say a capital, three chapters, four chapters of Tehillim, plain women, not big thinkers, tzaddikistas, giving shurim, plain girls and plain women who go home, and say a prayer in the kitchen that my son, when he goes to school today, shouldn't get hit by a bus, and he should eat his food, and he shouldn't meet a bad friend, those women, plain women, plain guys who get up in the morning and they dive in, they put on their tzitzes, they learn 10, 15 minutes, they say, I got people to heal him, says, says Reb Nachman. Those are the people, the simple folk. Those are the people who are going to bring Mashiach. And he says a story about a king who went hunting and he changed into simple clothing so nobody knew that he would be the king. And all of a sudden, they were attacked. And all the king's big officers ran for their lives. They were being attacked. And the king, they didn't know who the king was because he was dressed like a beggar, also ran for his life. And he's on his horse and he's running and he's running and he needs help. And he comes to this little teeny house. Not a palace, but a, a straw house. And there at the, at the doorway is a villager, plain old villager. And he says to the, he doesn't know it's the king. He says, come, come, I see you being chased, come into my house. And he comes into the house and he closes the door and he sits down and he says, listen, I'm a poor man, what can I give you? I'm going to give you some what they call groats, it's like oatmeal. Cheap, cheap, cheap for poor people. So the king sits down and he gives him this, this oatmeal and he says to the king, not knowing he's the king, he says, listen, I'm really sorry, but I'm very poor. I can let you sleep on the floor in some hay. The king says, no problem. And he sleeps on the floor in the hay, if that stands as the king. Right? And he sleeps in the hay. And he wakes up the next morning, the king, and he says, this was the most sweet, pleasant night I've ever had in my life. Because this guy didn't know who I was. Right? I had a bed. I was tired from running. I slept. It was warm. The stove was on. The oatmeal, even though it was disgusting, it filled me up. He was very happy. Okay. He stays by this villager after a day. They're looking for the king. The guys, the, the, the guys, the pirates, and all these people who came to chase them are gone. They're looking for the king. They come to this house. 
there's the king, they recognize the king, and they say to the king, hey, let's go, come back to the palace with us. He said, I'll tell you the truth, if I had a choice, I wasn't the king, I'd never come back to the palace with you. This man took care of me. Yes, it wasn't the greatest meal, it wasn't the greatest bed, but you want to know something? He did it with really feeling. It was sweeter than any night I ever had that I slept. The food was better than ever food, even though it was disgusting. He says, you guys, all my officers, you all ran for your lives. You didn't help me. This man helped me. So Rav Nachman said, listen carefully. I want to read it to you from inside. When I read this, my inside shook. Listen carefully. Rav Nachman concluded by saying that it is said that before Mashiach comes, this was written 250 years ago, before Mashiach comes, there will be a flood. Not a flood of water, but a flood of atheism. Not a flood of water, but a flood of immorality. It will cover even the high mountains. As we know, the Mainoach covered the high mountains. What does that mean, the high mountains? It will cover even the intellectuals, even the intelligent people will become atheists, will become immoral. Even the Holy Land, even in Eretz Yisrael, you'll find atheists and immorality. Worse than the first flood, which we know the flood of Noah did not reach Eretz Yisrael. But this time it will come with such strength that the water of atheism and immorality will splash across the world. This means that it will have an effect even in the virtuous hearts, even in the good people, even in the religious people, even in the Jews that go to Shul on Shabbos and put on tefillin, even in the ladies who cover their hair and are tzniyus. It's going to get them too. They're going to have internet in their house. They're going to have questions on God. Yes, yes, yes. In the old days, it didn't get into those people's houses. You got into the people in the rift where they're the regular person, but the good person, the stuff didn't get into the house. What house today doesn't have internet? How many good Jewish kids and how many organizations are on Facebook? It's everywhere. It's going to even be, said Rav Nachman, by the good people, by the virtuous people. There will be no way to combat it with sophistication. All the rabbi and the rabbis and the tzaddikim will be scattered. They won't have the strength to stop. And I can tell you that what's going on with alcoholism, with drinking, girls drinking, girls and boys drinking and smoking and partying and drugging and physical relations, it is so out of hand. And there's no rabbi in the world anymore or a group of rabbis that can stop it. Yes, we can save a girl here, we can save five girls there, we can save a few boys here, but in large, in large, there's a party next week, a non-Jewish party on Halloween. Halloween is a Christian holiday. It's a saint holiday. It's a holiday of the dark side. It's a holiday of the dark side. There's a club in Manhattan called purgatory. You know what purgatory means? Purgatory means Gehenna. The, the, the non-Jewish, the Catholic, the Christians call Gehenna, hell, purgatory. If you sin, you'll go to purgatory. Got a phone call today, Rabbi Wallerstein. You got to stop 
that party in purgatory. I'm like, purgatory? Why would someone walk on their own voluntarily into Gehenna? It is the rage. It is the rage of next week. And it's going to be full of Jewish children who are being Mechal Shabbos, who are walking into hell. Yeah, they're walking into hell on Shabbos to celebrate a Catholic religious holiday. It's not normal, if you think about it. It's not normal. Come on, it's Halloween. They don't burn Jews on Halloween. They give out candy. Yeah, that's my share tonight. It's all wrapped in candy. Sure, it's all wrapped in candy. That's the something, that's the Eight Sephora. So Rab Nachmimi Breslov didn't say that Wallerstein is going to save this generation. Or all the rabbis, he says the following. There will be no way to combat this with sophistication. All the royal ministers will be scattered and the entire kingdom will not be firm on its foundation. Yiddishkeit, Judaism, will be falling apart right before Mashiach. The only ones who will uphold it will be the simple Jew who recites Tehillim in its simplicity. Therefore, when Mashiach comes, there will be the ones to place the crown on Mashiach's head. You guys, everybody in this room, not saying you're plain people, you're all Kanyas and Sadiqim, but you're not in positions that you're the rabbis, that you're the leaders. And Nachman said, the leaders are going to run for the hills. It's going to be the poor people. It's going to be the oatmeal servers. It's going to be the, the beds with the hay, the regular Jew. The regular Jew. They wanted me to talk about who's going to bring Mashiach. The regular Jew. Not only the regular Jew, says the Gemara, but who's going to bring Mashiach? The women. The women are going to bring Mashiach. That's what it says. They took us out of Mitzrayim and they're going to take us out of this terrible gullus that we're in. What did the women do in Mitzrayim? What did they do in Mitzrayim? What, they went to Beis Yaakov? <laughs> they, they, they learned all day. They learned Navi Balpeh. They knew, uh, they went to seminary for five years. What did they do in Mitzrayim? One thing. One thing they did in Mitzrayim. And that saved the whole Jewish nation. One thing, girls. They were tzniyos. Not one woman, except one woman actually, who was mistaken. She thought it was her husband and it was a Mitzri. And we learn about that in Chumash. That was the person who cursed Hashem, was the child from that from that whole situation. That was the story with Dustin Avinu. Not one Jewish woman in Mitzrayim had anything physically or spiritually or emotionally to do with a Mitzri. No Egyptian parties. No internet. They were Tznua. They said, I am a Jewish woman and I am for my Jewish husband. Not only that, the men were very tired. They were working a whole day as slaves. They didn't want to have children. They couldn't. They were tired. They weren't to be bothered. The major said the woman would get dressed. She'd make up her hair. 
She put on her makeup. She would go to the field where her husband was working. And she would say, look how beautiful we are together. And he would say, well, I can't see how beautiful we are sitting next to each other. And she would take out a copper mirror. In those days, they didn't have glass. They used to take copper and they used to shine it, flatten it and shine it. And that was the mirror that they used. And they would sit in front of their husband. Listen, ladies. And listen, guys. They would sit in front of their husband and they would say, look how beautiful I am. Look how beautiful we are together. And that's how they were able to be with their husbands and to have Jewish children. From a sneeze place. Not from, let's go to this dirty movie, let's watch this pornography, let's read this book, let's hang out, let's go together to Vegas, let's go to Cancun where we can lay on the beach. No, 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 no. We would have been done. We'd never gotten out of it trying. You know what Rashi says. Listen to this. So when it came to the base, Hamegash, ladies, and they had to build something for the Kohen in the base Hamigdash to wash himself so that he could be pure to do the Avaidah. And all the men came running with their gold and their this and their that and we're going to mirror them glass and silver. And, and Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, I got a commandment from Hashem that he wants to build the Kiar, which is where the women washed their, where the Kayin washed his hands to do the Avaidah. I want you to collect all the mirrors of the women who came out of Mitzrayim. I want those copper mirrors. I want you to melt them. And I want you to make my kiyar out of their mirrors. Mashrabeinu Rashi says, turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, Hashem, in the Beis HaMikdash, you want to put the mirror that got the man to be interested in his wife? That's like not so pure. That's not so holy. That's a little disgusting. You know, it led to other things and that's how they had children. But I don't think that we should make a key or built from women's mirrors altogether. A mirror is not such a sneezing thing. And Hashem said, the most holy vessel that I will look at in the base Hamidosh is that key or. Because the Jewish women kept tzniyus, kept morality, and only stayed with their men. And there's nothing that Hashem loves more than that. So we want to bring Mashiach, and we want to build the base of Migdash ladies. I tell you one thing, from experience, 32 years as a Rebbe, there's no way that a man can be holy, if his wife is not, he doesn't have a chance. If he has a holy wife and a wife who's at Snua, then he has a chance. But if she's a poets, if she comes to shul or goes out with him to eat and she's wearing a tight dress that all the other men are looking at her, her husband doesn't have a chance. You think it's attractive to him? Just the opposite. You're giving him an appetite for other women. A tznua is the most attractive thing to a man in the world. Sari Menu was a tznua that, that Abraham Avinu didn't even know what her face looked like. Not gonna get, it's not for tonight. But a tznua 
is the most attractive thing in the world. How do we know this? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they were, they were embarrassed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made them clothing, and Hashem with His own hands, His own hands, dressed Adam and Chava. And now, in the end of the generations, in the opposite of the creation, Hashem dressed us with His own hands, and now we're undressing ourselves with our own hands. The fashions that are coming from Paris, and from California, and from all over the world, is how little to wear, not how much to wear. We are completely undressing ourselves emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Now, if I'm a product kind of guy, I like to look at the bottom number. I'm a businessman. I like to look at the bottom number. If they were right, if Hollywood was right, if Paris was right, then how come immorality got worse? If that's an attraction for a husband and a wife, how come everyone's getting divorced? How come Shalom Bayez, by the guy on the raid, is like not normal? And even by the Jews, it's not normal. There's mashma, from here we see that not getting dressed and wearing tight clothing and wearing low neck clothing, and, and that's not attracting your husband because the husbands are running. You can't even get. I went two weeks ago with a girl to get her get. Right? You, unless you have a connection... You can't even get into a Besden. They're so busy writing divorces. So if if this was right, that getting dressed, not sneeze, is an attraction to your husband, so why is it getting worse? It should be getting better. A girl wears a short skirt, you're going to have a long marriage. And it works the other way around. The divorce rate by Hasidim, even though when a Hasid gets divorced, all of you have to say, did you hear the Hasid got divorced? Is maybe a hundredth of a percent of not Hasidim, getting divorced. So we, this is the raya that you're wrong. I say this in psychology too. I'm going to get shot for this. I grew up, man, did I get smacked around. 40 years ago, more than that, 43 years ago. Oh man, you looked at the Rebbe the wrong way. Whack! He used to take me to the office with my ear. So my ear was a little low. With my ear, used to pull me from class all the way. Unbelievable. We used to put Vaseline on the bottom of our ear so that the Rebbe couldn't catch it. You know, that's what we used to do. We had all kinds of tricks, right? Okay, I'm not saying you should hit your kids. But when, thank you very much. She's going to bring Mashiach with my oatmeal. I'm not saying getting hit is, is the right thing today. Do you know what? I'm not going to say what's right and what's wrong, but I'm going to tell you something. In my generation, not one guy in my school did drugs. Not one guy in my school was on Prozac, was depressed. Nobody. Not one guy in my school slept with a girl. Unheard of. Not normal. He just looked at a girl. None of it. We got whacked around. Therapy came and said, uh 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 uh. No hitting the kids. No criticizing the kids. No yelling at the kids. Love them, love them, love them, love them. Don't ever say anything wrong. So he killed 12 people. You don't know my son. It's not his fault. He's got hormonal changes. I don't know. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. All kinds of answers. All kinds of truths. And so now let's look at the product. Let's look at the product. Let's look at the product. 
The generation where there was a thing called consequence, you did something wrong, you got it. You did something right. I remember growing up, I didn't get many of them, right? But we had that board with the stars. Gold star, red star, blue star. Every single classroom in my, in my school had stars. And what you would do to get a blue star or a red star or a gold star was worth more, whatever it was, good behavior was rewarded. Bad behavior, you got schmeist. You know what schmeist means? Whacked. You know what? I wish they would have whacked me a little bit more. Because if they would have whacked me a little bit more, maybe I would have learned more. And then when I come to the share, I could tell you more than I'm telling you now. I wish they would have whacked me. I deserved it and I should have gotten it more. Because I knew that when I got it from the people that I loved, I knew that it was coming from a good place. My father had a right to whack me because my father loved me. So I knew that if someone loves me and I'm getting punished, must mean I did something very bad. If someone is whacking or punishing me because they're all uptight, then I'm not, then, then I'm not interested. So... Yeah, believe it or not, it used to be a Rebbe would call, call you over and say, you did something wrong. I'm not angry at you. I'm very calm. But you have to understand, Shefala, that you did something wrong. When you do something wrong, you get a patch. So put out your hand, Allah. And I would put out my hand with a smile, not, get over here! You just... It's going to hurt a little bit, but you'll remember it, and then you won't do it again. And you'll go like this. That was the whole mice. But that smack from that man, even though it didn't hurt my hand, hurt my soul, because I know he loved me, and I messed him up. And I got him so upset that he had to smack me to different relationships. So our generation grew up. Now, I didn't even know what a therapist meant. The fathers I got with a T-H-E-R with a thermometer. We didn't even know what that meant. We didn't know what Prozac meant. We didn't know what depression meant. Now, don't tell me that the world changed apples and oranges and that's what caused it. What caused it was that when there is no consequence, when it's just the opposite, if you're good, have a nice day. If you're bad, if you're bad, we're going to call you out of class 15 times because it's not your fault. And we're going to take you to therapy. And we're going to take you to this. And we're going to take you to that. And we're going to take you to this. And you're going to Israel because you smoke on Shabbos. So if you smoke on Shabbos, we're taking you to Israel. We're taking you to the Colorado Rockies. I'm going to buy you a new suit. And we reward bad behavior. So if I lived in this generation, why would I be good? So the whole world. I'm the bad guy. Oh, I'm crazy. Because I believe in consequence. The whole world became a place... Where when you do something wrong, you get attention. You get positive attention. When you do something positive, you get negative attention. What's wrong with this kid? He's normal. There's nothing wrong with him. There must be something wrong with him. He's normal. That's crazy. Look at our generation. Look, you don't even... You shouldn't even know what I'm busy with day and night. It's a generation that's suffering so much. I went today to a detox. Tomorrow I got to take this girl... To a, to a rehab, a 28-day rehab, then we got to send her to another, and she's 17 years old, and she's on, she's on heroin for two and a half years. Heroin. Since she's 15 years old. Her hands are, look like, like the, the LIRR tracks. It's not a joke. She's in the hospital, because she has fever from the needle that she's shooting up with. It's a Jewish girl from a Jewish home. It's not working. What we're doing is not working. There's no consequence for anything that a person does wrong. There's no consequence. We have to have consequence. No. 
The world made everything kosher. You want to be gay? Good. You want to blow up people? As long as you're doing the name of religion? Good. Want to be an atheist? If you're an idiot, you believe in God. If you're smart and you're an intellectual, then, then you're an atheist. It turned everything around. Everything around. And we fell for it. Effort? Meaningless how hard you try. Doesn't matter if the Yankees try hard tonight. It matters if they win. It matters if they win the World Series. It matters if they win the game. You got a bunch of guys there killing themselves to play. No one's going to say he played well. He he's unbelievable. They lost. Forget about it. It's Greek. It's the Greek culture. We all live in it. Everyone in this room, including me, we live in the Greek culture. We don't care how hard our children try. We don't care how hard our husbands work. You didn't make enough money, so steal some. Yeah, 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 yeah. We steal a lot of money. In the name of God, we have our little white lies and the way we twist it, you know, that we sell the guarantee and the, and the, and, and, and the, and the camera and we reuse, but it's not reused and all these switch and bait and, and all about it. Why? Because it comes home, so you're working like a, like a fish, so you're killing yourself. You didn't make enough money. I'm going to Bloomingdale's and, 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 I, and I can't pay the bill. You didn't make enough money, so go steal. It doesn't matter. Effort. Doesn't mean on a report card. It was the last time someone looked at that word. Doesn't mean anything. It's you got a ninety, you got a ninety-five, you got a hundred. It's a freaking Greek Olympics. All our yeshivas, all everything that we live in, it's all about what you get on your test. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You know what happens when you run a world like that? That's not Judaism. That's not that's not Yiddishkeit. That's not Avraham Avinu. That's not Yitzchak. That's not Yaakov. That's not Rachel. That's not Leah. That's that's that's. That's Greek. That's a hundred people racing and only the one that reaches the top gets the gold medal and the rest of you are a bunch of losers. So people walk around, of course they need therapists and of course they need pills and of course they're depressed because you're a loser. Unless you won, you're the top person, you're a loser. So the kid that comes home with a 70 is a loser. Or an 80 is a loser. And the first thing the mother asks when the kid comes home, Ma! I got a 98! Did Dina get a 100? <laughs> Ma, Dina's the smartest kid in the class. She always gets a 100. Well, you should be the smartest one in the class. <laughs> so, of course, that child goes to the room and sits there depressed and pops a pill. Or goes online and talks to a boy who says, Your mother is an idiot. She doesn't know how beautiful you are and how special you are, but I do. I'm, I'm there for you, baby. You're special. Nobody understands you but me. You're laughing, guys. You're the guys, you're the hunters. You do this all the time. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You know how many dis girls you destroyed and broke their hearts? Something you can never pay back. You're going to sit in purgatory for the rest of who knows when. And you're going to come up to Shemaim. I put on my tefillin and I daven and I did mitzvahs. Hashem, why are you throwing me into hell? And they're going to tell you, what do you mean? It says that ki, ki, if you steal something, the Heshavashi goes out. You have to return what you stole. You stole this girl's heart. You told her you're going to marry her. You told her you love her. When in your head, all you wanted to do was use her body. You're a ganaf. You're a low-life ganaf. Now give her back what you took. You didn't. And therefore, you're higher forever because you can't do tshuva, boys. When you take something you can't return, you can't do tshuva. 
unless you get mechila, unless she forgives you. You already forgot the 35 girls that you took their souls and their emotional hearts and never gave it back. You don't even know who they are anymore. That's the next world, babes. There's a price. There's a consequence. You take someone's heart, you tell her you love her and you're going to marry her and then you just use her and you go to the next one. That girl's heart, you can't give back. You better hope she says her mouthful every night and says, I'm Michael, anyone who ever did anything to me. This is not a game. This world is not a game. There's payback in this world. Yeah. Sorry, boys. You know I'm real. Find them. Call them. Apologize. Get on your knees and beg for forgiveness. Or else you're in big trouble because you can't take, you can't give them back what you took from them. So yeah, when the 14-year-old girl walks into my office with her parents because she's talking to boys, I know right away two things. I know how old the boy is. They think I'm a big Makobo. I love it. I love playing Makobo. I have this every day. You know, they bring me from all the different schools, the 8th graders and the ninth graders who are talking to boys or doing more. And they sit down and they're little kids. They're mommish little kids. Little kids. I'm like... I wouldn't even look when I was growing up at a kid that way. You're a little kid, you're a little girl. I'm like, hello? You know, go play with your dollies. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Talking to boys? Buy a Barbie, buy a can, cook a can. Like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> so she sits down, she says, she says, Rev Austin, yeah, they sent me, they sent me here. It's like, I'm the, I don't know what, you know. They sent me here to talk to you. I'm like, how old are you? 13 and a half. I'm wow, 13 and a half. That's really. Very young. I'm like, so you're talking to boys. So I know two things without you telling me. Really? I'm like, hold on. I have to go into my Kabbalistic stance. <laughs> oh my goodness. What? Rabbi, what? What do you see? I'm like, oh no. No, oh, what? What? I'm like, he's 16 and a half. Oh my God. Rabbi, how do you know? I know things. I said hold on hold on hold on there's something else coming in oh my goodness you have a terrible relationship with your father oh my goodness how do you know that I'm like one second one second I don't know the boy nobody told she didn't tell anyone who the boy is I'm like he's 16 and a half he's about two and a half three years older than you and he talks he talks to you about his mother he doesn't like his mother his mother's very tough on him she's like Wallstein stop what else do you know? <laughs> I'm like, at certain points, I just close the shade. I don't look. She's like, I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a Kabbalist. I'm not a Makobo. I'm like, it's very simple. What 13 and a half year old girl needs to talk to a boy? 13 and a half girl doesn't need to talk to a boy. Hashem created girls, guys, that they need to find a husband, girls, when they're around 18 years old. 17, 18 years old. Until they're 17, 18 years old, they're supposed to have a nice, good male, female, male relationship with their father. Because a normal marriage, and I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, but this is the way Hashem created us. In a normal parent relationship, the father is the one who gives his daughter unconditional love. Whatever she does is the best. And the mother gives her a hard time. Very simple. The mother was a girl once, so she could say, when I was your age, I made my bed. When I was your age, I got good marks on my test. When I was your age, I cleaned the shower table. What's wrong with you, Connie? What's going on with you? 
when I was your age. But the father can't say when I was your age because he was never a girl. <laughs> so the father is my honey. So I know on PTA, because I teach girls, when the father comes to ask me, I will never say anything wrong with his daughter because the few times I said, you know, your daughter is my, she's, she doesn't do any work. She puts thumbtacks on my chair. I mean, she pulls down the file along. You know, she just, she's just not a good student. Brother Wallstein, I didn't want to tell you this because I have Derek Harris. Do you know why my daughter does, my daughter does this? Because you don't know how to teach. And your whole school is stupid. And I wouldn't send my daughter to your school if it wasn't for my wife. And he would run out. What? You tell that father that his son is not doing well. Oh, Chaim's not doing well? I'll teach that boy a lesson. <laughs> I'll take away his television. I'm taking away his football. I'm taking away his friends. He's grounded. Hold on. Is this the same father? Yeah. Because the father doesn't give his son unconditional love. Because he also can say, I used to put on my trillin, you lazy bum. I got up for dominating. What's wrong with you? Can't you make $5? I had a hundred... $100,000 by the time I was 21, you bum! You can't make five. What's going on with you? But his mother can't say that because she was never a boy. Therefore, therefore, mothers have to know that their sons need to get unconditional love from their mothers. And fathers need to know that they have to give time and love to their daughters. Fathers think, oh, my daughter... That's my wife's job. Women think, oh, my son? That's my husband's job. No, it's a team. It's both of you. Your daughter needs your unconditional love. What happens if she doesn't get the unconditional love from her father? So she's missing that relationship, male-female relationship. So now she's going to look for it. Even if she doesn't look for it, it will look for her because she's very vulnerable from some 16-year-old who's going to come over to this 14-year-old girl and say, you're amazing. You're fantastic. Don't listen to your teachers. Don't listen to that principal who threw you out of school. Don't listen to your parents. I love you. I think you're special. While he's saying that, he's like, can't wait. To bust you up, girl. Can't wait. Can't wait. And she's sitting there, and she is so vulnerable because she needed that love from her father, and she's getting unconditional love now from an older guy. So if a 14-year-old guy would walk over to her and say, hi, you're beautiful, I love you, she'd say, get away from me, I don't talk to boys. Because that's, that's a peer relationship, and a peer relationship starts when you're 17, 18, that you're looking for somebody your own age. But the, old, the, the, the relationship that you're looking for from an older person, that you're always looking for. So the 14, 13-year-old girl is looking for a 16, 17-year-old boy. Now what is this 17-year-old boy doing with a 14-year-old girl? He's 17. He's the man. He just started driving. This is a little squirty thing. He's 14 years old. He's a baby. What are you doing, man? You're 17. Why are you hanging out with 17-year-old girls? The answer is because his whole life, his mother was knocking him down. You're no good. You're no good. So he had to find a girl, a female, that's going to give him unconditional love. What female in their right mind is going to give a 17-year-old boy unconditional love besides his mother? A 14-year-old girl. Wow, you know I'm going out with? He has his own car. He shaves already. Wow, amazing. Boom, boom. You have a 17-year-old boy with a 14-year-old girl, and the whole system is collapsing. Because it was so busy, says the Chomesh, with the Avodah Zarah, Kol Hayyim, 
We're not thinking a whole day of taking care of my daughter and taking care of my son and taking care of my children. Ra, ra, call, hayoy. How am I going to get my Blackberry? Where am I going to get a new Blackberry? Where am I going to get my television from? Where am I going to get my, blah, 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 blah. Get my phone system? Come on, i got to get unlimited time. You have no time for your kids, no time for your family. Oh, but when then everything is going down and you have a 15-year-old, it never happened, heroin addict, that started when she's 15 years old, and all of a sudden you're like, Reverend Wallstein, help me, save me, $25,000 a month rehab, and all this other stuff. You know why? Because rock, rock, call y'all, you were busy with that all day. You're busy with yourself. You're busy with your cell phone. Your cell phone's dead. It's a piece of metal. It has no life. You didn't give birth to it. You have no responsibility to it. What are you so busy with that machine for? Batteries and charging. Call Verizon and call back Verizon. And this wire and that wire. It's dead. It has no life. Your children have life. Your wives have life. What are you doing on that stupid, dead internet? Has no life. It's false. You can turn it off and it disappears. Your wife's sitting next to you at the table. She doesn't disappear. <laughs> Your children don't disappear. They're there. Rock, rock, Hashem said, Kinechamti, I feel bad I created the human being. This is what I created them to be on the phone all day. That's why I created a human being. Hashem could have created a bunch of machines. There would be no immorality. There would be no murder. There would be no atheists. Machines aren't atheists. Right? On the machine it doesn't say, you ever see a machine, anything you buy, where it says, hi, I just bought a new phone, let's see where it's made. Made by myself. Made in Japan, made in Mexico, made in China. Stupid machines know more than the atheists. Atheists say, human being, everything that's going on just happened on its own. The little phone says, no, no, I'm made in Japan. I'm made in Japan. The, the chair you're sitting on, made in Korea. The clothing that you wear, made in Italy. It knows where it's made. But we, oh, we just happened. Shugam, we just totally have lost the focus. And now they're coming into New York next month to do the final and the last step. So Rav Nachman says that who's going to save us? You're going to save us. How are you going to save us, ladies? Tznius. Let Hashem make, you know, this might be like totally out of hand, but I was thinking about it when I was preparing the shir. In the Beis Hamikdash, there were many curtains. Many curtains. I think that the curtains in the third base on Migdash are going to be built from all the kosher mechitzos and all the kosher shuls where there was sneus, where there was modesty. Hashem's going to take everything that was used for sneus, and that's how He's going to create His base on Migdash. From the regular person, from the regular Joe, and the regular Jill, from the regular Chaim, and the regular Miriam. That's how Hashem's going to going to bring Mashiach. You want to know how Mashiach is going to come? You're going to bring Mashiach. Stop paying so much attention to machines. They have no life. There's no bracha on a machine. There's no such thing as making a bracha on a machine. Do you know why? Because the machine has no bracha. There's no blessing in a machine. You don't make a bracha on a television. You don't make a bracha on a mic. But on a little banana and an orange and an apple 
And anything that's created from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, there's a bracha. Because it was created from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, so there's a bracha. And all these things that we waste our time, there's no bracha. You don't even have a bracha to make on it. You're all thinking, it's also derech when you're in a car. You're not making a bracha on the car, you're making a bracha on the derech, which Hashem created. There's no bracha on a, on a car. There's a bracha on a baby. When you have a baby, you make a shechianu. Thank you, Hashem, that I reached this time. When you buy your new, brand new Mac, what a laptop, right? $2,400, something like that? Mac laptop, looks like that. That's a mad laptop because you can do all your artwork on it, right? And you're all excited. You make a bracha? No. No bracha, it's a machine. It doesn't get a bracha. But on your bag of potato chips, which costs you a quarter, you make either shahakal or bari priyadama. So I'm here tonight, and I came out here tonight, just to get you all you people in contact with what matters and stop wasting your time on the things that don't matter family yourself you're so much every person has so much power so much kaychus look at the women in Mitzrayim did guys you have so much kaych to help people to daven to learn but it starts with shalom bias with husband and wife it's not my share tonight. Mitchum, I'll give you a share on Shalom Bias. I sat today. I thought I was going to have a day off. I sat today for six hours with one couple. Girls and guys so don't understand each other. It's, it, we have to have a Shalom Bias share. Because a, a, a marriage that's good is so amazing. It's so powerful. Both people in a marriage that's good go every day with such positive energy. A good marriage, the Lord says... Isha Toiv, a good marriage, Chaya Toiv is a good life. And a bad marriage saps all your energy, all your kaychus. You go to work, you're miserable, you're tired, you have no energy. You go to work in the morning and it's a husband and wife, they get along, the kids have energy, the parents have energy, the house has energy, it has bracha, where there's Shalom Bayesh, there's bracha, where there's machlekes, there's klawa, it's a curse. And it's so easy. It's, everyone thinks Shalom Bayes is so hard. So easy. It's just each one thinking about the other one instead of themselves. Done. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. Okay. So I kept you very long. I'd like to end off with a bracha. This week is... Wow, I have a lot of svarim, but we'll save that for next time. I want to leave you with a bracha like this. So this week is Rachli Menu's yard site, by the way. Very, very big week. I think it's Tuesday night and Wednesday, I think. Or Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Right, I think it's Tuesday night and Wednesday. Rachli Menu. Women are very scared of cockroaches. You want to get to, you want to get them to jump on a chair? You let like one of those two little jooks out. They're running around the house. Forget about mice, right? They're very scared of cockroaches and mice. Men, men are not scared of cockroaches or mice. Why? Why? Woman, she's running for a while. Mouse! Ah! Guy, oh, mouse? Oh, I'll get a broom. I'll wipe them out, right? Cockroaches? Ooh! They go to see an apartment, right? There's a cockroach. Wait, we're out of here. This is a great apartment. We have a great price. Come on, Miriam, let's stay. A cockroach! Okay, no more cockroaches. Let's stay, right? And the lady's totally going crazy. Guys, 
guys are really scared when the stock market starts to fall. Guys get very nervous. They get a pit in their stomach. They put on WINS. The market fell 230 points. It looks like we're going into a recession. And the next day, the market's falling. The dollar's falling. Gold is falling. Oil is going up. The guys walk around. They're mommish nervous. Women sitting in the car. And today, the market fell 240 points. Chaim, does that affect us? Are you telling me to get finished? Chaim, does that have anything to do with us? Do we, know, do we have anything to do with the market? What, what's the market? He's like, yeah, forget about it. Doesn't care. Hey, and uh, we had President feels, Obama feels that uh, we're slipping into a huge depression. So Chaim, what are we doing for Shabbos? And the guy's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I have money in the bank, oh my goodness. She's like, what are you getting so nervous about? Just, you know, the foot starts to shake, you know? And she's sitting there, new, are we going to have, are we going to have anyone for Shabbos? Meanwhile, the cockroach, she's jumping off the wall. And, and we just lost $250,000 in the market, and she's like, who's coming for Shabbos? What's the deal with that? Why? Why? Do you think about Why aren't we scared of cockroaches? And they are. And we care about what goes on in the, in the financial district, and they couldn't kill us. Very interesting. Very interesting. This is Torah, not psychology. So Shimshon Pinker says something unbelievable. He says, you're only scared about something that you can do something about. Now, a woman, the cleanliness of her house is her, is, her, is her business. That's what she does. So a cockroach in her house or a mouse in her house means that she's not doing the job that she needs to do. That's how she looks at it. Therefore, what Hashem do? He made her, it's beautiful, it's, it's very deep, it's beautiful. He made her scared of the cockroach. So when the cockroach shows up in the house, she immediately, how does she react? She cleans the whole house. When she sees a mouse, she cleans the whole house over and over. And don't leave it. Don't, look what happens. You leave some cereal on the floor. We have cockroaches. That's right? Because she's the cleaner of the house. So Hashem put in her the pachad, being scared of it, the scare of it will cause her to do her job. The man, his job is not to clean the house. So to make him scared. So now he's scared of the cockroach. So what's going to be the reaction that he's scared of the cockroach? Nothing. He's going to go into the other room. He's not going to clean up. So Hashem only, Hashem only makes you scared of something that you can change. The scare, being scared, is the inertia, is what turns you on to make the change. So therefore, since the woman is not in the, in, in the financial part of the family, he's the one that's supposed to be supporting the family. So when she hears that the market fell down, Hashem didn't put it in her heart to be scared. Because to be scared and not be able to do anything, that's a waste. Scared ignites action. So when he hears the market's going down, hello, Chaim, my broker, listen, take it out of that stock, put it into this stock, put it into that, put it into real estate. We gotta figure this out. We gotta figure that out. So Hashem triggers in him that he's scared because that being scared causes him to react. Cockroach causes a woman to react because she cleans the house. A mouse causes a woman to react even more because a mouse really means the house is dirty. Cockroaches could be coming from downstairs. But if there's a mouse in the house, that means we're not clean people. So she's going to clean and clean and pluck up the holes and do whatever she has to because she's going to react. He, oh, there's a mouse in the house? He's not going to be scared because he's going to go, oh, there's a mouse in the house. Okay, put a glue trap in the corner. Who cares? Whatever. That's my life. Very ridiculous thing. So I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say and this is how I'm ending. Finally. Whoa. I want to make sure you don't see the end of the game. All right, anyway. He said something amazing. He said something amazing. Listen to this. Go inside your heart. I'm leaving you to go home and think about this. Anybody who's scared of Mashiach means you can bring him. 
means you can bring Mashiach. Because if you're scared, again, Hashem only brought being scared into the world so that the person who is scared, it will ignite him to make the change that he can. So a person who says, oh, Mashiach, I'm not scared, you can't bring Mashiach. But the person who trembles, who says, oh my gosh, Lord Wallstein, I am so scared when Mashiach comes, I don't know what's going to be, I don't know if I'm going to live in my family, I'm going to miss them, and I'm so scared. If that person is scared, that means that they're scared of the cockroach because they could get, because they could clean the house. They're scared of the market because they can change the market. The person who's scared of Mashiach, I'm very scared when Mashiach comes, I'm very scared of the whole situation, means you're scared because you can do something about it. If you're not scared, like the man is not scared of the cockroach, and the girl is not scared of the, of the market, that means that you're so far away that you can't even, you can't bring him. So you need to go into your heart and soul tonight and see if you're really scared of Mashiach. Because if you're scared of Mashiach, then you can get that to him out and you can bring him. Now, what happens if you're not scared of Mashiach? You need to do a lot of tshuva. You need to get a lot of clarity until you get to a point that you understand that Mashiach is a very scary time because not everybody makes it when Mashiach comes. So I'm scared. Oh my goodness, Mashiach comes. My mother is there. And am I going to see this? We're going to see that. What am I going to make it? What's going to happen? Oh my goodness. You can make the change because you're scared of him. Which means Hashem is making you scared. And if Hashem's making you scared, it means that you can make the difference. So if you go home tonight and you're a little bit scared, it means that you can bring Mashiach. If you're not scared, get scared. <laughs> and I have a famous saying, don't be scared, be prepared. Being scared is not enough. Okay, I'm scared. Okay, Rabbi. So now what? Now you have to prepare. You want to hear about preparation? Preparation is a man... In Washington Heights, a Yekka, German. I'm also German. We are, supposedly we are, we are. The Yekkas are crazy clean people. Very German. Very, very, very clean. My grandmother was so clean that on the third night of my father's Shabbat he went to sleep in my grandmother's apartment with my mother, and he got up at 2 o'clock at night to go to the bathroom. When he came back to his bed, it was made. <laughs> that was my grandmother. I'm not kidding. Hanukkah, when I went inside her living room to light the candles, she said, don't bring chametz in the living room. I'm like, Oma, that's a grandmother in German, Oma, it's Hanukkah. She goes, that's right, and I'm finished cleaning for Pesach. I'm serious. So, they're very, very clean, neat people. My father cut his nails every Friday, not every two weeks, every single Friday. His clothing was set the night before. His tie matched his suit, which matched his handkerchief, which matched his yarmulke. You could see your face in his shoes. I'm talking clean people. There's this one man in Washington Heights, an old man in Breuer's, right, who has beautiful fingers, all cut very, very, you know, short. But his thumbnail, on his right hand, his thumbnail, is about six inches long. Now, not like those Meshugam who have that weird nail, I don't know what to use it for, I think cocaine, on the pinky, that, that, long, that long fingernail, you know, which is, which is totally goyish, totally not Jewish. By the way, it says that the evil spirits live on the long nails. You're supposed to cut your nails very short. Uh, I'm not talking about girls right now, I'm talking about guys. But girls also, whatever, I'm not going to get into it, but, right? So, so you're not supposed to have long nails. If you see someone with long nails, it's not a good thing. Long nails by a guy is not a good thing. You see a boy with long nails? 
no good. He cut his, he cut, boys have to cut their nails very short. Nails have tumors. That's why if you cut them, they fall on the floor. Pregnant woman walks over it. She can lose the child. There's a lot of tumor under a person's nails. So your nails are supposed to always be cut very short. Now, this man in Washington Heights has a thumbnail, a yekka, with a thumbnail that's six inches long. So one day, somebody had the nerve to go over to him and say, excuse me, you know, you people are very clean. Why would you have a thumbnail? doesn't look like you cut in five years. Very clean, but six inches long, like a vampire. <laughs> Listen to what believing in Mashiach. So he said, I'm a Kohen. Now we know, if you learn Chumash, that there was, if somebody, if you had a carbon, you bought an animal. If you didn't have enough money for an animal, you bought a bird. You didn't have enough money for a bird. You brought a mincha made out of flour. So the bird was for the medium person who didn't have a lot of money. How did you shech the bird? It was called Malika. Mem, Lamed, Yud, Kuf, Hey. Malika. The Kohen would have a six-inch, seven-inch thumbnail, which he would sharpen on the, on the outside edge of it like a knife, like a, as sharp as a knife. They would pull the head of the bird back. It's called Malika. It was part of the Avaidah. Don't make faces, because if it's part of the avoid, it's not. And he would hold the bird in his hand, and he would just go like this, and it would sever the bird's neck. It's called Malika. So listen to this. So this Kohen in, in Washington Heights said as follows. He said, Mashiach is coming today. Coming tomorrow. All the Jews who sinned are going to want to bring sacrifices. Not everyone's going to have money to buy animals. Some of them are going to come with birds. Who's going to do Malika? So all the Kahanim, like Rabbi Wallerstein, who don't have the nail, I'm going to have to wait a year or two to get that nail. So the only Kohen that's going to be able and be prepared to do Malika is this man. That's believing that Mashiach is going to come. Well, all the other Kahanim are going to go, oh my goodness, I can't do it, I can't do it. He's going to stand there and say, I believed. I'm prepared. Don't be scared. Be prepared. Mashiach walks into this room today. Do you think he's going to take you to Eretz Yisrael, to the new base Hamidash? Do you think that you're at that point? Do you think the way you're behaving, the things that you're doing, that you're going to be part of that group? If you think not, be prepared. Because he's going to be here very soon, as Rav Nachman said. When the final foot drops, atheism, in America and in Israel, and atheism becomes a thing, that's the final step before Mashiach. Amir Hashem, my bracha to all of you is, that Beit Gabriel, Chazak, for any time, all the girls and all the men that are in this room, Rizrat Hashem coming out on a Sunday night to learn Torah, should all have this chus, that we will be prepared, and we will be scared, You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.